Well, sir, Rodney, how are you today? So, at night before I go to bed, I get mm-hmm. yep. 24 ounces of water mm-hmm. and I infuse that water with Himalayan salt. Sometimes mm-hmm. black salt that I got from Hawaii mm-hmm. and then I put that on my nightstand and then in the morning when I wake up, I gulp that on down. It takes me about 25 seconds. I just throw it on down the gullet and then I feel amazing. So, it's a really long way to say I feel amazing, bro. So, I put... I don't know, 24 ounces of water next to my bed without anything in it but water. And I do the exact same thing and I feel amazing. I think the moral of the story is that we're over 75% water. So, you should probably start your day with water. Mm, water. This ad has been brought to you by water. H2O. <laughs> Welcome back or welcome to More in Common if this is your first time listening. Uh, We are a podcast that seeks to inspire thoughtful and honest conversation that leads to action and positive change. Ultimately, we're looking to expose that we have more in common than that which divides us, even if rooted in differing points of view. That being said, Rodney, to to kick off this week's episode, let's, let's go back. To our conversation. Going, going, back, back to Cali, Cali. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, going back to our conversation with the Lock West. What was yeah. what was your big, big takeaway if you can narrow it down to, to a takeaway? So many, so many takeaways. But if I'm going to narrow it down, I'm going to go Vibe Junkies. The, the name of his brand and um, just the, the concept that we all have an energy and we're seeking energy like us and or vibrations. Uh, like ours that whole explanation just kind of blew my mind because I I hadn't thought about it I I think about it a lot but I hadn't thought about it if that makes any sense at all and um, so that's the number one thing there were a lot of other things he said that just I'm still thinking about the eye beholds everything except itself and you cannot continue to go against your purpose like those all kind of stuck in there and I'm trying to figure them out but uh, what about you yeah that purpose one is something that continues to to percolate in the back of my head but I I think the biggest thing for me is uh, the story that he talks about related to the Rasta brother on the other side of the street and you know he dresses different looks a little different even though they have the same skin color and they they just walk right by each other without an opportunity to potentially learn something from each other and that's the biggest thing that I took away especially the interaction of getting to know Kent in general he's a guy that I probably in my lifetime wouldn't have had an opportunity to get to know maybe wouldn't have taken the opportunity to get to know and boy I'm glad we have this podcast because it gave me that chance and you know we talk about and just just feeling connected to another person sharing the same vibe um he he, like he's he's just someone that I'm really really fortunate to have gotten to know and it, it just reminds me that don't miss those opportunities because you just never know who you're going to meet and what you're going to learn from somebody. You never, ever know. So that said, um, you know, going into this week, uh, who, do, who, who, who is going to grace our audience with their, with their presence for the next hour? Their, their, their melodical melodies of their voice or something like that. Something like uh, that. <laughs> today, we have Phil Hay. He's a husband, a father screenwriter, producer, 
And and don't forget a little league coach of a very successful team. I've actually seen them play. They're pretty good. And it was it was a good conversation. It was fun. Was it was it not? Keith? I so, I had a blast, and it was that was our second conversation in person, being live. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. The, and uh, it was a lot of fun. We had some technical issues. We uh, had a recorder stop recording at one point. We fun. had a com- <laughs> we had a computer die at one point. Yeah. But hey, we got it all still. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about things uh, like. Being a screenwriter in Hollywood, uh, the yeah. impact of D&D, how he manages conflict, you know, how mm-hmm. he sits with discomfort. I thought that was a fascinating discussion around how he navigates his, his internal or how he navigates conflict. Accepting fault and what that's all about. Yeah. I mean, we had three men talking about feelings for a little while. That That's, that's a different type of experience and... All t- it was uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable even bringing up that it was uncomfortable. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> and then writing diversity into scripts and what that what that is for screenwriters, which I thought was... Default whiteness, man. I, Default whiteness. I thought that was an interesting segment. And then, of course, we have to note at the end, about uh, about two minutes before the end. So, you, you, can, you don't have to worry about it throughout. There's a bit of a spoiler alert in one of his movies, The Invitation. And basically, well, just be aware that he spoils the ending. It's got really good content in it let's turn that spoiler alert into a promo go watch the invitation and then listen to this interview. <laughs> there you go there you go problem so, solved it's a good conversation and i uh, hope you enjoy it as much as we did recording it as always so enjoy the show hey quick note i just finished doing some of the audio editing there are moments in the episode where you're going to hear like a weird noise it's because the microphone's being moved I'm guessing it's probably because there was a rodent or a poltergeist or some other type of invisible creature moving the mic. It couldn't have been me fidgeting, moving the mic at unreasonable moments. So, yeah, I apologize on behalf of this unbeknownst force. Just wanted you to know about it before you go into it so it doesn't distract your listening experience much more than it has to. And enjoy. The two things I did as a kid were role-playing games and baseball. The bottom line is like, I guess trusting the people you're talking to. I don't know, to me it's it's um, being a learner, like being in your kind of learner mind space and, and, and which t- bears with it humility, which is probably the most important thing, I think, just walking around in the world. I don't know, there's something like the willingness to sit with stuff that's uncomfortable is so countercultural. To, to just sit with discomfort and not try to um, immediately make it go away or make it better, which is, of course, my first instinct. Today we're with Phil Hay. Phil, hello. Hi. Glad to have you. Yeah, it's good to be Thanks. here with you guys. So, you know, one of the things we wanted to ask you about up front is you're a writer. Yes. You write stuff. So you write movies. You write books. I um, have written. I've written a book. Uh, it's not published, but I went to. Uh, so I went to um, grad school at UC Irvine, the MFA program, and so uh, MFA is is a master of fine arts. So fine Irvine arts. has this writers program that's amazing. That is a there's a fiction program and a poetry program, and um, it was just an amazing time of. Of, of life where I got to spend two years just writing like and being and, and getting feedback from this incredible group of writers who then became my friends. And, yeah. and um, so I wrote a novel in that program. I was also writing screenplays because my partner, Matt was uh, 
living up here in LA. We were sharing an apartment. So I, we were both doing grad school. He was at American Film Institute and I was at Irvine. And <clears throat> we were living together in LA and writing screenplays and doing that. And sort of the screenplay uh, thing just kind of uh, hooked in. And we, we managed to make some headway with that, like right as I was getting out of graduate school. And so I definitely still, I still write fiction, like maybe like one short story every three years or something. Yeah, I get yeah. a very slow pace, but I'm slowly accumulating them. Yeah. And I would like to figure out how to, how to get back in that space. Was that the original goal? Like, did you want to write? Yeah, that yeah. was, it was interesting. Cause when I was growing up, I was um, like, I felt like I knew I loved movies so much. Like that's what my friends and I would do together is, Play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Over, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, and uh, watch movies and watch, you know, really interesting movies. Um, and and so I loved that, but I didn't really see any place from a town called Hudson, Ohio. It's a small town in Ohio. And I was just like, I, I had no way of seeing yeah, no how to get from here to there. And um, then when I got to college, I started seeing like, I still had it in my mind that I might want to write movies mm -hmm. but i also got really my first impulse was to write fiction and and you know i was in a first thing that i ever wrote were, were song lyrics for my prog rock band in high school so it's like <laughs> that that was really that's uh that um i think so a couple of those those verses are pretty good but there's a lot of um elven kings and you know sentinels and you know what, whatever you know, yes. what have you yes it was not seen as incredibly cool i wouldn't say but you know, like my friends siege and I, the castle that's yeah <laughs> great track great eight and a half that's one of the track which is um but yeah so so yeah there's a lot of um it's funny my as an aside that our, our, our bands we, we always we joke later that that if only like most of our friends we we're into the replacements or into like the Ramones or some something that was you a starting point you can get close to. We were all really into into Yes and early Genesis and teenagers cannot play that. Music. You can't get like, to it, that. It's yeah. way too complicated and difficult. So we're we had an Amiga computer that we programmed to do these weird pipes and stuff. <laughs> so you were you were about. Uh, finding the thing that is least accessible and just going after it. Like, That's right. Yeah, find something. Yeah, why not? Off to Hollywood yeah. to try to find the most <laughs> way to make people try to make people make the most inaccessible movie. Possible. What was where was your undergrad? Uh, I went to Brown University, yeah. and that's where I met Matt, my partner. Okay, uh, and that was an incredible uh, experience as well. Studied? I studied English literature. Okay. So, but but really, what I studied was like it was. Um, improv comedy because I was in an improv comedy group oh, nice. and it's funny I realized that I've, I've said this to people before and because it's true is the two things in my life that turned me into a screenwriter were Dungeons and Dragons and being in an improv comedy group like those those mental spaces yeah. are kind of what a screenwriter needs to be that makes a lot of sense um, actually and, one of the guys I play with is a screenwriter it makes yeah. sense yeah yeah. So, so to, to ask the obvious question, what is it about that mental space that makes it good to be a screenwriter? I think to me with, with the role playing games, because, you know, as you know, we go, you, you, we can go really deep on the role play. Dungeons and Dragons is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. There is one for anything you can imagine. Yes. Uh, and so I think to me, what, what I, what, 
what I realized about it is I spent my adolescence sitting in a room with my friends telling a story together. So there's the dungeon master or game master and there's the players and whether you're that, if you're the dungeon master, it's, it's really literally like being a screenwriter. You're kind of managing sure. this story and finding interesting turns and making sure that like, you know, this section, they've gone somewhere you didn't expect. You got to figure out how to either send them back the way you want them or listen to those characters and go away that they're going and make something up. And just that sense of playing a character, being, trying to, everybody wins if the story is good. That's the yeah. beautiful thing yeah. about the role playing is you're not playing against anybody. You're playing with people and everybody wins if it's a memorable, interesting, amazing story. Yeah. And, and so both the collaborative nature of that, because that, both of those things also improv and D&D are completely collaborative. Yeah. They're not possible to do by yourself. They both kind of have that yes and. Yeah, exactly. And that is so critical in screenwriting because film is collaborative to it in its nature. There's no, it has to be a team. It has to be a group. It has to be a structure where other people are all coming together to try to pour their thing into the vessel that's the movie. Yeah. And, and so an improv is like that too. You, you're just... You, and you have to listen and you want to, um, you know, you're, 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 you're honing your sense to keep something interesting, but not just like joke, 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 joke. You know, you're trying to do a scene. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, just something about that. And then the skills that you learn from that just for the business skills, like to, when you're pitching, you know, like it's, it's really nice to have a background with that stuff so that you in your gut, you know how to take a piece of information that strikes you as like, whoa, that was from left field and somehow wrangle it and somehow get to the yes and and somehow, right, exactly. And every screenwriter too, specifically, we always say, and it's advice we got from other writers, is to take an acting class so you know what that's like, you know, know, and and what building a character that way looks like. But I think that's true. Like, I, I think... Improv is such an amazing, it's an amazing tool. And I think it's, in a way, it's an overused or overvalued tool in actual filmmaking mm. sometimes. But I think in, in life and as a creative tool in other ways, I think that there's something about improv that, especially if you can remove the goal-oriented part of it, you know, trying to be hilarious, trying to kill, like, and just try to be. And some of the most funny improvers that we ever worked with were would spend the whole scene just doing some piece of business in the back you know of the room and then interject not like a punchline or not like a funny line just like something perfect that just like turned the whole scene around you know so so yeah those things it's funny i also spent a lot of time to go back to baseball which we were talking about earlier there's the two things i did as a kid were role-playing games and baseball and and it was funny because it was two very different very social different worlds, worlds in my yeah. high school, yeah. you know, and, and baseball sort of like bought me the freedom to be a geek and, and be not, um, as, as, you know, struggle as much. Yeah. Um, and my friends who were quote geeks were pretty cool for geeks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah. you know, you're pretty handsome, you know, like, not <laughs> we're pretty good looking geeks. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Um, but, but it was interesting too. Cause it was like, like, I had these two interests that were just, that was what I, that's what I did. What was the overall cultural thought on D&D in Ohio, in Hudson? Oh, it was funny because 
we had this this a term that my friend Chris came up with, which was the shame of the game. Yes. Right? And it was like, I'm sure other groups have come up with exactly that term because it rhymes. But but it was that thing of like, you feel you're feeling good about yourself and you um you know, you you're you're just you're in you're in your friend's basement playing the game. Like this came from one instead like we were playing in, in my friend Neil's basement and just like we, we you know that's what we did is you know you 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 start at three thirty in the afternoon and you play all night and then it's it's just the greatest right and so so one of the like cooler guys of high school like pulled up in his car in the driveway and we could see Rip, and he was like oh man you know I forget like why like oh he was gonna come and like yeah. pick up so something pick up, or whatever up. and we're all just like ah, ah like <laughs> throw, like like stuff the D and D stuff under the table. <laughs> Oh my God! This is a disaster. <laughs> and then, then we joke later. We're like that. We felt the shame. Of the, game. the shame of the um, game. But you know, I think now it's really different. I think that I don't. I don't know if it's as like. Do you think it's different because you're in LA or no? I think for kids, maybe is it more acceptable? D and D's come into this specifically D and D, and probably other RPGs and board gaming. Like there's this second wind of like for sure. It is there is a culture that's accepted for gaming and RPGing. Um, well, and that probably led the I play. think that's right. I think yeah. it kind of was a nice uh, door opener. to Which is funny because like, I didn't ever play D&D growing up. I was a video gamer. Uh, yeah. And like my church, everybody like all made like, oh, don't play D&D. Like, oh, yeah. That's yeah, all I that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah I th- it's yeah. interesting because I don't think I've ever thought about that way, but I think it's true that there is some Sometimes I think I'm trying to think what it would what what I just love about it is just the social part of it is so great. Just so, being with your friends and doing something that's together. Like the main, that's the main. That's thing. the main thing. Yeah. But in terms of like inspiring writing, I I just I always did love like like fantasy and swords and sorcery and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. so there is something about you know like imaginatively trying out all that stuff. And I'm sure that some you know like we we wrote Clash of the Titans and it's like we, we yeah. there's D and D all over that movie yeah, and yeah, there's yeah, definitely yeah, stuff sure. that is you know so, interestingly enough since I started playing I see it everywhere yeah I see it in Moana like everything I watch I'm like okay here they they yeah. met they're not at a bar but sure whatever they're, they're in the equivalent of a tavern the it might be a, some rocks next to the ocean it doesn't matter here's it's the, the challenge yeah yeah here's the skills. there's That's always right. the person that doesn't want to be a part of it yeah. Like, no, exactly. It's, it's always I see campaigns in everything, and like the way they go to me and play, they're like it's like a video game, but a hundred times better because every game like Grand Theft Auto, you know, the first truly open world right. game where you can do whatever you want, where you can't still, it's trying to be what D and D actually right. is in yeah. your brain. Like, you can't. There's no limit. You, you can literally go anywhere. You can imagine. Aspect of it. And yes. which is actually so social. We talk about. The difference between having a phone call versus yeah, other, exactly, right? same you, thing. You've got a group of people around a table interacting, giving actual positive feedback to this ecosystem where you have the shame of the game when someone else does. Yeah, it. but then you know, video games, it's over a headset. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, not that same interaction, that same human. Experience. And the thing of just the physical thing of having a piece of paper that your character is on yeah. and some dice. And the dice are yeah. so fun. Like, it's oh, just an amazing be. feeling to yeah. hold those things and all of them. So it, it, and I think it's maybe people are turning to it more now because it is more different and valuable because people spend so much time on like, screens and computers. And, and that it is a really yeah, special thing. experience, yeah. Because, like, when we're playing D&D, too, it's like, I won't say nobody's checking their phone, but it's yeah. not, it's pretty rare. Like, yeah. people are just there. They're just yeah. present. They're just yeah. 
we're doing our thing, you know, that's like, so cool. and that's, that's pretty instructive. So yeah. I definitely, it was just a really big part of, I realize now, like, I think I started this train talking about now, as I get older, how much I'm reattaching to stuff that was important to me when I was growing up. Yeah. When there was a time when it, it just was like, like, you know, I, I've always loved baseball, but I, you know, I just wasn't paying as much attention to it sure. and stuff or didn't play D&D for 20 years or 25 years. Yeah. And now I'm playing these games again. And, and it's such a, it's kind of amazing, you know, it's a, it's nice to reattach. The crew I play with, they've been playing since they were in college together. They went to SC film stuff and like only one of, only two of them are actually in film now. Everybody else is in technology or yeah. growing pot or whatever, who knows, but um the what you were talking about like the the randomness of the story the best story i've heard recently is this guy did a campaign for his daughter and her friends just to get them introduced into D&D and they the town they were in was surrounded by these wolves and they were supposed to go eradicate the wolves and instead they went out and became friends with the wolves That's awesome. and had an army of wolves <laughs> for the rest of the campaign <laughs> that that's good yeah that's amazing that gives me hope for the new generation. Yeah. Too. Like, they're not just, they don't want to kill the wolf. No, nah, we don't have to go fight. Why don't wolf? we talk to the wolf <laughs> and see Maybe what, the wolf's I mean, misunderstood. what their beef is? Right? They might have a beef. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, so you went to Brown. Yeah. When did you come out to LA? Uh, right that? after that. So it was in 93, 92, at very end of 92. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so I worked out here. I came, so I did, went to Brown. Um, did a lot of improv, uh, did theater, you know, the amazing world of theater there. And, and, and met. From acting, writing, both? Uh, writing a little bit, but actually more like techie. Like I was oh, yeah. just helping out. Like my, my girlfriend at the time was like the queen of the techies of, of, uh, <laughs> of the, the theater scene there. And so like I would be like constantly at 2 a.m. be like, hey, you got to get down here and help us hang these lights. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, can you run to Boston and get some chicken wire and some paint? <laughs> like, whatever. So, I was like a very – I tried to make myself useful. You were the utility knife, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so I did all that and then I came to L.A. and I was – I worked at a um, – I was uh, – I worked at Sony Music for a little bit. Like, um, I worked uh, first as just a unpaid intern and then I got a job um, uh, working at – for a jazz promoter. So that was interesting. Like, uh, uh, and I worked that job for a couple of years and it was just as a record promoter and learning about jazz. Cause I, I mean, I knew very little and I learned a ton and then it was, you know, we didn't, we did jazz. We did what at the time was called album alternative, which is kind of like country ish rock singer songwriter type oh, of stuff. Okay, yeah. And that was more what I was used to listening to. Um, so I was just living in LA. I knew I wanted to write. And, and so my partner, Matt graduated a year after I did. So once he got out, we moved, got a place together. We started writing, you know, in our off hours all the time, but we were both working full-time jobs. And, so but, you came uh, out here because you wanted to be a writer. Yeah. I feel like it was either to go to New York or go to LA. And I, I just felt my family had moved to San Jose during college. And oh, so yeah. that maybe was the balance tipper that they were all out here. And I came, I didn't really know anybody except for one college friend who we moved out, you know, together yeah. and I was waiting for Matt to finish school and come out and stuff. Was the master's always part of the plan or was that, that come later? Like, okay, that we should... came, that came later. Like I was sort of, so I was spending, 
yeah, a couple years like writing and just learning LA and, and, and doing this job, which I actually really loved. Like the people I worked with are so great at the jazz. So I call basically the job is calling radio stations, trying to get them to play the records that we had been hired to promote. Oh. And um, and it's just a systematic job. It's like old school social media. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was a phone sheet. It was just pick up the phone and call. Pick up the phone and call. And um, and 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 that was that was that was really great. But then I thought I have to figure out some. I don't know where I got the idea that I wanted to go to grad school for fiction writing. But oh, so it wasn't I like somebody said like if you want to do this, you need a master's. Yeah, no, it no, because it's like there's a couple programs. There's University of Iowa is a very famous program, and Irvine is a very famous program as well, and there's others, but those were the two I really knew about based on the people who had come out of there and reading magazine articles. Yeah. And so, I really wanted to explore Irvine because I wanted to stay out here, and I just loved it when I went and visited and met the professors. I, I just was really into it, but it's really hard. It's like they let six people in per year. Wow. It's a two-year program, so there's a workshop of uh, about 12 people, and that's it. That's a, and and so when I got into that, I was just so yeah, so happy and so surprised actually, and um, that that gave me some structure where I stayed living in the place that I was living and commuting. You know, it's like fifty minute commute from yeah. everywhere, and so Matt and I could still write our screenplays as we were doing this, and then that's when he got into American Film Institute to study screenwriting. So we were both in different grad schools. And that was just a really was good, that helpful, like getting different perspectives on. Yeah, I think, and learning, also just I meeting guess. all the different people. Like, like he made many friends there that we are friends with and actually work with now. And I've really good friends from Irvine that I'm still in touch with. Doubled your network. Yeah, yeah, and it felt like we all got to mix these two groups of people that were amazing. Mm-hmm. And so we spent. Yeah, so I, I thought. So that was two years and it was able to support myself because I was T to TA. And so if you live really, really tight, you can do it. I yeah. mean, it's not a it's lot of money. Great. You're getting paid to be a TA, but you can do it. Yeah. And, and so that was amazing because, um, and it's funny, like the advice that when I I'm on, talk about screenwriting more directly and talk about people who are thinking of making the move to LA and yeah. want to try to be screenwriters over and over again, what, what, what I'd say and what a lot of my peers would say is, Maybe the most important thing is to find a way, find a life that you like, you know, a job that works for you, friends, so a network of people. But the freedom of trying to live really, really tight is, you know, that's just your buy, buying as much time as you can. That's probably good advice for anybody in the world. It, but specifically, if you're coming, like, I'm going to come to L.A. and I need to, like, break in in a year. Yeah. That's like that you, that's not a good. That's plan. a small window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> time really flies. So a good plan is I'm gonna get here and just live. Get a job like yeah, do it and then, and then try to just stay really, really. We've talked about it a couple times because Tim Ferriss mentions it. He's like, there's this, there's this statement being perpetuated saying, if you want to be an entrepreneur, like you got to quit everything. And he's like, uh, he's like, maybe. Yeah, like, I don't like, know. Why not? Like, if you got a job and you like it and it's it's keeping the lights on, like, maybe you do that and then you do your other thing on the side until it... Yeah, yeah. and there's no one yeah. way to do it. And yeah. some people need... To me, I, I I definitely need some kind of stability in my life yeah. to work yeah. from. Totally. And there's other people who thrive on chaos. I don't know as many of them, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I need to, like... I can be creative from having some rock to stand yeah, on, totally. you know. And also, it was fun because I mean, because I was doing it with my partner and best friend, yeah. and and we were 
I, I think both of us would say we were having a, a, a we had a life that we really liked. Like yeah. we we had jobs that were enough to pay the bills, and it was fun. We didn't we lived together, so we didn't have to like make a time to meet up and say sorry. Saturday is going to be from ten to six. We're just working, and then Sunday we're going to do the same thing, and then it's back to work on Monday. It, we would end up doing that sometimes, yeah. but it wouldn't feel like we had work that we had to go to because we'd just be around. And yeah. Pretty character that operating She she came in. Um, so we got married. Uh, we 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 met. We did a, a movie called Eon Flux where yeah. she we had met a few years before Karen and I and just like as friends were like oh ama- you know like had just had a great amazing conversation. One one night at Sundance, where her first movie was, and it was just one of those things where you're like, "Wow, what an amazing person!" Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then years, a few years later, she got the script for Beyond Flux, which is a science fiction movie we're doing. She's like, "Oh, I know that guy." And so we started working on it together. And over the course of that movie is when we kind of got together. And um, so so we became, you know, we got married, and then she was doing her her own thing we're doing our own thing but we always wanted to work together again and then we wrote this script called the invitation that originally matt and i were going to direct and at some point we were just like you know we have a better director sitting right here at home so it's like and she she was really she wanted to do it but she was being very respectful of us today and so the second we said we really would if you want to would you consider doing it and she said absolutely yes and so that was how we sort of created that first, this new thing where we're both writing and producing, she's directing, and we're just moving through the whole so thing has, together. I mean, you, you and Matt have been writing together for almost, what, 15 years? Yeah, more. Uh, professionally, 21 years now. Wow. Crazy. Because, I mean, Invitation came up in 2016, so... Yeah. That, that was the first project. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a big chunk of our career where it was just, it was just Matt and I yeah, working, yeah, yeah. and then a chunk where... Um, we had worked with Karen once, but we were still doing all of our other stuff, all our other movies. Sure. And so it's, we still have the writing we do as just a team of us. And then now we're also trying to do more and more movies and set ourselves up as that we're going to create, we're creating a company now, yeah. the three of us, so that we can kind of, because we've realized we found what we, what we want after all these years. Like that's what we want is to be together doing this. Which is super cool. It- kind of sounded like you were saying that what you have is bigger than it's bigger than movies it's bigger yeah. than the thing that you're doing you have family you have like friends that are family yeah exactly that's yeah, the mission isn't to write movies necessarily it's to be this doing that yeah that's yeah. a good way to, to put it because no it's true and i think that 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 anchor because there's so much uncertainty in the movie world always, especially recently because things are realigning and you know, who's what the the studios are contracting and there's these new people, players in the, in the game that everyone's just kind of figuring out, you know, but it it, it feels like, and as I said, as someone who actually loves certainty, it's ironic. I think it's true of people often that like we turn toward the thing that we fear the most. And so, I've just, you know, I was joking with Matt. It's like my personality is such that I really like continuity and consistency and certainty. So I've chosen a job where (laughs) we have a new job 
if we're lucky, twice a year or three times a year, a whole new thing, whole new thing, whole new thing. Everything's always new. Everything's different. Every movie is its own little experience. And then once it's done, it's done. And there's a new... But I also realize that's something I love about movies is that they can be done. They can be like a thing that you have... When you're finished with the movie, if it's a good experience and hopefully other people like it, it goes to a place of safety in the past. It's a closed book in some way that you can just feel good about back to the earlier question i asked you about managing difficult conversations yeah like so how, when you do butt heads over yeah. something important like that you know something's got to get that scene's got to get done yeah, yeah. and you disagree on whatever the dialogue yeah um how do you do that well that's it it's it's interesting because there have been times when i've i've tried to propose like we should have a system where you know what i mean like you get a, a coin and you can throw that in and like you just like and matt is always like that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard like that we need to be able to work these things out without gimmicks you know and 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 so but we so we never have had anything like that. and what i sort of realize is the the couple things the old the old the the the, the true old-fashioned thing that is so that we never let the day go by without Working fixing out. whatever it is. Don't go to sleep angry. Don't go to sleep angry. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's really critical. And there is like we, we we never violate that. I don't think we've ever had an argument. And we have tons of arguments yeah. that lasted beyond the end of the day. And somebody might literally storm out of the office and I other times I watch Matt. Storms out, and I, we're on the third floor. We're on this, this studio lot, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching. And he's walking, he's walking across the parking lot, and he's just mad walking. He's just like backpack is just bobbing up and down. And you get in the car, and this is before we got moved to the garage when I could see him in the plaza, or whatever. And and take off, and then like five minutes later, my phone would ring, and all right, you know. And the funny thing is, we have a system. That I realized maybe could be used by other people if they really know each other. What I realized the system that has developed is whoever was really at fault in the argument. First of all, we always know what it's about. It's always about something else, right? And it's usually not about me if he's mad and it's not about him if I'm mad. It's about some external issue that none of us can control or something in life that's bothering us or whatever. But the, 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 the kind of ritual is... The person who wasn't at fault calls the person who was at fault and says, you know, that was my bad. I didn't really react very well to that. So, And the other person says, thanks, but, you know, that was actually my fault. Yeah. And I shouldn't have gotten that heated if it doesn't matter yeah. and whatever. And, and so it's the thing of, like, the person who feels secure. I'm knowing that, like, it, it actually wasn't my fault, yeah. but I'm glad to take yeah. the blame. No and then the other person comes back yeah. with like, no, I will take the blame. Yeah. And then we can, we have to do that ritual to just move on. And, and that wasn't ever, and usually we're both, that were put in place. Yeah, no, that wasn't one of my, my gimmicks that I was trying to instill. That's just how it evolved. And, and, and it's funny because, and also the truth is whenever people are in conflict that are close to one another, there's obviously there's not one person only to blame yeah, ever, you know, like so, yeah. there's it's many times when I could choose to not, to just play it cool and not escalate what I can see as a conflict. And then I choose to do it because I, you know, I'm mad about something else and we need to have it, have it out. So um, it is so important though. And then the other thing that's great is we hash it out 
and it's all about creative stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, sometimes it's in the guise of something else, but it, ultimately it's it's creative disagreements or what we think is important about a scene or whatever. But which is why, they, but the minute that someone else, like if Karin then comes in and we're like, just look at this. We don't say who is on what side. And she's just like, oh, obviously that's what should happen. Then we're both like, great. There's no, There's it, it's just yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. over. It's yeah. just this over. Is, I mean, this is great lesson in communication with whomever, right? Like, one of the yeah. biggest, biggest faults to any relationship is a lack of communication. Right. You know, and if, to like, be able to be, and also I think to be able to say like that, and it, it's hard. And again, I think there is something cultural. We talked earlier about being both, you know, being uh, Midwesterners. Yeah. To be able to say, and maybe it's a male thing too that you're taught. To be able to say, you know what, I was wrong, yeah, and not say I was wrong, but you know you were also right, wrong right. because, wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know, just it like was, to, to it, just say I am wrong, yeah. and let's acknowledge that and let's figure out how to move forward. I think generally, generationally, it seems to be getting a lot better, but I think that's something. I think it's definitely a male thing. Yeah. And then depending on your subculture, like it may be amplified, mm-hmm. but I think what, it's, where does that come from for you? Like having been grown up in Ohio, like you said, culturally, is it through the experiences of um, of improv or D and D where like you have to do that stuff or learn those skills in order to yeah. that everybody has that same experience or is it something your parents did or taught you? Like, where is that ability to have humility? You say humility yeah. is a big value. Yeah, right? yeah. And not anchor on pride and be able to have a conversation and a, and a fight and move on from it. Yeah. And like, I mean, you're very clear on these things. Like, where does that come from? Yeah, I, I think if I were to try to figure it out, I, I imagine that, first of all, having been in a relationship with my wife where I've just learned so much about, you know, I've grown so much through that and having a child and grown so much through that and having a amazing, you know, work and friendship with Matt, my partner and grown through that. I've just had a lot of opportunities to learn from other people and people who I know care about me enough that I can be wrong. And there's this thing I was just talking with Karin about this the other day, but also making space for feelings, which is, um, not that Midwestern. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. You know, and yeah. saying like, it's actually, oh, because I think, I'm, I, I just imagine you guys really relate to this. I, <laughs> I was like, I am definitely my, my core instinct uh, in both a good and a bad way in a conflict is to immediately try to make it better. Mm, that's mine. Totally. Immediately try to yeah. make it better. Yeah. But, but yeah, but, but maybe as we kind of said earlier, sometimes making it immediately better doesn't help anything because well, like, it's not yeah, quote better. Right. It's just, it's just kind of patched it's over or something. Over yeah. Control yeah, exactly. Right? And like that's, that's a really good way to put it because I think so much of what I'm saying is my, my own culture growing right. up is yeah. to be in control yeah. of things and to not, and to, to, to appear to be impervious is somehow yeah. is a really good thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, in our culture, it's it's a value. I mean, it's valuable to not – and you want to be – you don't want to be flying off the handle or anything. And, and especially, you know, it, 
and this is about like treating everybody around you with respect, but it's also treating your, yourself with respect because I think it's easy to sublimate any feelings you might have mm-hmm. in order to try to just, uh, because it's embarrassing feelings. Yeah. Like, or it's like, it's wrong. Like, like yeah. if you're a screenwriter, like you really are expected to be a very professional, you get a lot. Everyone gets to have an opinion about what you do. That's <laughs> the structure yeah. is like at every stage of the game, yeah. there's a lot of people whose jobs is to have an opinion about what you've done. And as a screenwriter, you actually don't ever have a chance to be the person with the opinion about the thing the other person has done. I mean, in a way, but not, but not directly, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, um, so you build this thing wherein you must a rigorous th- uh, sense of a, t- a thick skin, but also a sense of calm presence with if someone is is giving you notes, you're interacting with somebody, a- ability to actually hear what someone's saying. And that's improv too. Like, yeah. take it in and don't say no to stuff. Say, okay, yes, and, or... Okay, I can build off of that in this direction. Yeah. I, I know the, the the initial thing that hit me hit me in a really negative way, yeah. and I can have the feeling of saying, "Okay, I feel I misunderstood," or yeah. "I feel like you weren't paying attention," or "I feel any of those things that you feel." But to be cool about it, how do I repurpose and it? And try to listen to that person and understand yeah. what their thing is, and be able to come back and say, "Okay." Let me address that feeling, and I might address it in a different way. Right. I'm gonna. This kind of goes back to your point about sitting with discomfort. Yeah. Like, how do you? How, I mean, you say, okay, someone. Give you, you probably get a lot of those moments in your. Oh yeah, life. sure. Like it's every every single yeah. one of us that yeah. does this job <laughs> does for it's, sure. It's a lot of like, how do you do that? Like, how do you not get engulfed by that potential amount of discomfort that mm. someone might put it? You know, I think. Critics or whatever, yeah, so yeah. Edit it and say no, not this scene, and not that scene. So oh, yeah. you get this probably way more than I do on any given day, or most people do. But a lot of people have a hard time sitting with discomfort. Yeah, so how do you do that? Like, what does that look like? Like, if you if someone were to say, I need to do better at that. Like, yeah, I don't know if I would be the best yeah. teacher because I am. The fact that I can even say those words uh-huh. is such a good uh, step for me. Okay, so, I mean, as as a as a learner, uh-huh. <laughs> as a as a as a novice to the ability to yeah. sit with discomfort, I I I I just I think that there's a lot of people that have a spiritual practice that actually helps them. Yeah, with that. Mm-hmm. Right. and I don't have that on a literal okay. level. I don't, you know, I don't have that kind of practice. But I do think that. To understand that that's okay. Again, it's 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 just looking at role models of people that I know, or looking at, um, uh, and have, or having picked up uh, philosophical ideas or spiritual ideas that actually make sense to me about just trying to be and just trying to not either make something go away that I don't like, or or not, um, you know, try to be generous to the person that that is communicating with me or that is, I think is creating discomfort, but not generous to the point of like, not, you know, like needing to advocate for what I think is right, you know? Um, Because that's critical, obviously, in every facet of of advocating for what you think is right in a respectful manner. But, um, but it's interesting in a business structure where you are in a role that's very specific as a, as a, as a writer, where it is your job to make other people's, uh, inspire other people. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 that's true of the whole thing. Like that from the beginning of when you first send a script out to somebody, if you want to try to find a director, you have to inspire that person and make them excited to pour their stuff into your thing. And actors like it's like they need to be inspired when they read that when they read the screenplay and and the great actors that we have worked with are not calculating stuff ah, you know it'd be really smart to do this part or not like, oh, truly they are i mean they're they they they're looking to be inspired yeah. and it's rare to be yeah. inspired and so you know then when that happens though then you become you know as a as a part of the system you have to find your way to and the way that we've always matt and i have always done it and i think is a, a good way is to be number one, really aligned with the director and say like, if you want us to work on this movie, we have to just be close to the director because everything has to flow through that person. And, 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 and also to say, and this is harder to practice actually, uh, and that we have to really, you have to work at is to say, there've been times when there's like very competing interests on a big movie where the studio wants one thing and the director wants another thing and the star wants another thing and the producers want yet another thing and they're shifting alliances as to this and it kind of comes down to you because you have to actualize stuff. Mm. And what we realized a while ago is you just can't tell everybody what they want to hear. As tempting as that is and as ingrained in just normal human social behavior, you want to have, you want to tell people what they want to hear. It would be liked by as many people as possible. But we have to be honest and say, we will advocate for, you know, if you want us to advocate for something, we agree with it. We will, but we won't, we'll be honest with the other party about where people are as much as, as possible. And, um, that's a way that we've hopefully found to be, because I think that the, the secret to longevity in this business or in this, the role that we're in, especially is that, we always put the people first. Mm. And again, it goes back to what I was saying. There's no movie. Movies are really important. That's the other thing. I'm not one of those people who say, yeah, it's just entertainment or whatever. I think movies are so important. And I I care so deeply, almost, you know, to my emotional detriment about the movies we're doing. And, but n- no movie is more important than a person. Yeah. I think what's, what's cool about what you said compared to a lot of things that are heard you know we often want a simple answer because maybe we're struggling with accepting those negative things or thoughts and yeah you know i want to hear someone say i meditate or i go to church or i do this and it's like oh i can implement but that's not me yeah like, right. i don't know how to do that i think you can't just plug yourself your, in yeah that. it's cool it's like the the, the complex nav personal navigation that you have to get there that's not just one answer it's not just simple i think it reflects more of what others struggle with to find it than someone who comes on and says i got the secret i sauce. mean it's great when people yeah. have that for themselves <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but i don't have that i don't have yeah yeah but this kind of goes back to the thing I, at least i'm tying it i don't know if it does we can talk through the, through this right now but like the thing with the emotions um and I don't know if it's Midwestern or if it's just, like, people like me that are emotionally stunted. But, like, when somebody's emoting around me, yeah, it actually freaks me out. Because I'm not a big emoter. Uh-huh. So, what, what, like, any type of emotion? Sure. Ha- extremely angry. happy, mm-hmm. extremely sad, mm-hmm. extremely angry. Yeah. I'm just like, why are 
are you so yeah because I, I experienced them all but just on a very small level and that and well and i think this is kind of an indiana thing like or maybe it's my family thing like we just didn't really go into that uh-huh. and like talk about it and we yeah. didn't it wasn't good or bad we just didn't place a value i guess on uh-huh. the emotions yeah. so for me when people do it i'm like i'm kind of freaked out right i don't and know what to do with it so yeah. i want to gloss over like i'm ready to get to solution or next state so that i don't have to be uncomfortable in that current state right. um and i think yeah and i think there are there are people who are, are much more comfortable in that state or yeah, like yeah. They, they're drawn to it totally. do you like that state I, mean, I don't know if i am in that you're state, comfortable in it comfortable I, I grew up in a like, around emotion like uh-huh. emotion was my a life. sea that you swam in. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still do. But it's it's taken me a long time to get to a similar place of understanding how to manage them and deal with them. Yeah, go from these places. But I'm super comfortable around other people's emotions. Yeah, it's because I'm just used to being around hyper emotional people, uh-huh. which is my family. That's so interesting. Very hyper. It's so did so different. Yeah, to so different. That. I grew up in the Northeast and whole different experience, which uh-huh. is not an overly emotional place. But uh, yeah, you know. I don't know. Um, I want to ask about Ride Along. Yeah. Specifically, you were going to go there? (laughs) Sometimes it happens. So, it's interesting because we don't typically reveal race of people we're talking to. We just let people figure it out. We we like to let people navigate (laughs) their unconscious biases and try to figure it out. And then come back to it. But I'm interested because you're a white guy that wrote Ride Along. So right. yeah. I have lots of questions and yeah, I have yeah, lots sure. of reasons I'm interested. One, because I like I want to write and I want to be able to write for other people. But then two, like, was it written for? Did you write it with actors in mind? Yeah, yeah. We came on to the project with um, it was an existing project, and it was the director Tim Story had yes. just come on, and uh, uh, Cube Ice Cube had been always associated with. It was his thing. He's his production. Yeah, he yeah. produced it. He, you know, he's he, he, or one of the producers. He's kind of like the, the 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 center of the thing. And then Will Packer, another producer, another amazing. Another thing about Ride Along is the team is great. Like like the you know, I can spend a long time talking about how amazing that experience is just on a on a professional, personal, like unified team thing. Yeah. So those guys are all together, and then Kevin Hart came in. And they needed writers, and we we were working on um, uh, another movie at the studio at Universal, and so they knew us really well. And it, it came at us from our executive there saying, "I don't know very many writers that can write comedy, but also write action, and also write can get like a buddy cop movie." Those are, you know, I mean, to really combine those things and not pull someone from just the straight comedy world or the straight action world. And and he also said, I just think for some reason you guys would get Kevin's voice, you know. And I knew Kevin's stand-up and stuff like everybody. Yeah. But then when I started really studying it, it was this thing where I was like, I just, his comedy just speaks directly to me. Yeah. like. What he cares about and what his rhythms are and everything, I just, I just, I just love it. It just, yeah. it just makes me laugh. And so immediately, Matt and I, we thought like, okay, you know, his is a voice. I think we could write for. Like, I think we could, because so much of writing is you're you're really trying to find your way into 
someone else's voice, yeah, you know, yeah. whether that's the, your actors, whether that's the characters themselves. And also Cube has such a distinct voice. And so um, he's so specific. And so we were like, we definitely want to, you know, come in and, and meet with everybody and, and see if we could do it. And it just kind of clicked personality wise with, yeah. with um, all of us. But, but yeah, but you know, the director of the movie is African-American the stars are African-American, the producer, lead producer is African-American. And, and um, Matt and I were kind of invited into that world. And I think, you know, to, to our, to our, you know, real gratitude invited in with real open arms and, and also being really aware that like, we're walking into a world we were trying to, we want to be useful to you guys and your world here that you're, you're creating and we're creating with you. Um, and, and, and that's kind of how we walked into it is again, with a lot of humility with yeah. saying, I, we're, we're joining, you know, this like amazing group of four African-American men who are like some of the most powerful, talented, you know, smart, um, personable guys that, that you name it, you know, any good quality that you want to ascribe and, and just saying like, I think we can help. I think we can, and that's as a screenwriter, every project, that's what you're saying, but especially this one coming in and saying, we are who we are and we can offer what we can offer. And everything about this is us offering this. That's it. And then there's a security too of knowing that, you know, believe me, any four, any one of four of those guys has no problem letting you know what is working and what is not working (laughs) what clicks what doesn't click what makes sense and what doesn't make sense what sounds wrong and what sounds right like and so you you have the security of saying like if it's gonna if it works for these four guys it's gonna work you know like so that that i think that that whole experience has been and now we've you know we've done two movies all together the same people and we've written a third that we're trying to get going hopefully maybe next year and um, uh, that, that has been the experience. I guess that's the best way I can say yeah. it, is to feel like we could attach to a very specific voice and voices and, and, and we could take our lead from our leaders, which those, those guys, those are the four leaders of the, the movie. And really? we could take our cue from those guys, you know? I think what's... Um, that's a cool, that's we a cool talk, story. It's a great story because, you know, we, we often look outside in at the general constructs rather than looking yeah. at the, the specifics of anything, right? It's like, oh, you find out a white guy wrote Ride Along. It's yeah. like, wait, that, that doesn't compute. It sounds funny. Why, yeah. right? like, it sounds funny. Dissonance. But, dissonance. Yeah. but why, right? Because then I started thinking about it because we were watching it. It's like, is it because I think he was writing a cultural piece? But what he, but you weren't. You yeah. were writing specifically to the voice of the individual, which at the end of the yeah. day is ultimately what we're trying to do, right? Is represent everybody's story and you were just tapping into to Kevin and Q, yeah. not to this broader archetype of, of some other experience yeah. that you had. You were just like, let me know you, let me know you, and let's get after it. And Yeah, yeah. and I think also, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, the genre of the movie helps, right? Because yeah. it's, oh, sure. we're, you know, like, we are, it's a comedy, and it's a, and it, and it has a very specific point of view that is a really collective point of view, which has been one of the most fun things is about that is that, there are times when on the on those movies, uh, and this is a testament to to Cube and Kevin, 
is where there's a certain, there's like, there's a sense of humor. I'm, I'm drawing for the people listening. I'm drawing circles in the area. It's like a Venn diagram. Venn diagrams. And there's a, there's a big part in the middle that is a sometimes unlikely collision of all of our sense of humor. And yeah. that's the movie. And the, in general. And then there's some part of the Venn diagram that we just can't access. That is not either our experience or our sense of humor or, or something that we feel we can write. Like we just can't, it it doesn't work for us to write, you know? Um, and that's over there. And then there's some stuff over here where those guys are like, what are you doing? That's not funny. You know, like, like, like it's funny that you think that's funny. You know? Um, but there's parts of the Venn diagram where, where like Cube, for example, is so good about being like, there's been times where he would say, uh, you know, this is that, 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 I forget what, what the actual term is. He's like, he's like it's the wordplay that you guys like. There it oh, goes. Yeah. And he's like, I, I, he's like, I could probably make that work. You know, really good. it's very much like the other things where it's like, no, you know, like, and it's from him. It's very, uh, you, you listen to everything he says because he's who he is and he's like and he's so uh, smart about everything as a producer as an actor like he's got a vision right and then there's other times when for example Tim the director will be like I feel um, I don't get why this is funny myself but I suspect it could be funny and I'm gonna give you guys this one and we're gonna see and sometimes at, you know they shoot it and he's like it's funny, guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, and other times he's shooting and he's like, looks over and he's like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. Oh, it's, it's That's cool. very cool. And I, I can see how the D&D would even help with that, too. Because, like, you play all kinds of characters. Male, female, different races, different. Like, right. And that's what's, it's voice-based, yes. hopefully. And it's also these specific characters. Like, it's, there's so many characters where I would say like it's my job like you're writing a movie it's your job to be able to write a lot of different voices right. you have to um, or your script is going to be pretty really boring yeah, yeah. and and also you you have to try because if you're writing only what is like if you're a white writer and you're narrowly writing white characters for whatever reason even if that reason is I'm afraid to not properly write a character, you're taking opportunity away from the actors that, you know, it's very powerful to write specifically into the script diversity and make sure that it's in the script and that the character description, because there's a the thing of, you know, uh, in, in, in screenwriting or writing, the, the, the idea of default whiteness, that people will just assume every character is white oh, if there's no unless they're told otherwise. That's the, you know, it's just like the cultural thing. It's yeah. like, so say this cop comes up and says this, the first thing they're just going to picture that as a right, and so anytime with any roles, especially bigger roles, but even with the, the, the white guy roles, you, also you find yourself able to create a much more specific world of like, you know, populating Los Angeles with the people who populate Los Angeles. That you should you should be um, you should be trying as much as you can to bring that into your script from the very beginning. And then, so example in, in for Ride Along, hopefully there, there's stuff in me and Matt and our weird sense of humor and, and, and what we, how we learned about the world that just rings a bell for one or more of our bosses who are like, 
oh, I identify with that. And that character or where Kevin or Cube can be like, oh, yeah, I get that. And now I can go. Like, like now I understand this guy you're. Yeah. Well, I just well, had to wow. ask because it was just like when I thought that, I was like, why did I think that? Like, I'm just yeah. uh, uncovering my own bias. Like, yeah. well, why would I think yeah. that he couldn't do that? One of the things that you said is like part of everything that we're about. Is this, this virtual Venn diagram of yeah. Uh, yeah, there's this I'm never going to understand, and this I'm never going to understand. Right. But we've got that overlap. Yeah. We just got to dig yeah. Yeah. deeper to find that overlap versus just saying, oh, you've got things yeah. much to understand, right. so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there is going to be overlap. How much is going to vary by situation by situation, but like not finding that out, you miss out on the opportunity yeah. to get to know somebody, be in a project or whatever. Right. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's, it's all really, it's all very, very complicated stuff ultimately, yeah. you know, and thinking of, you know, I think, yeah, to us, it's, 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 it's also important to acknowledge the, the context of trying to do, whatever is in our power to write, you know, to write as we are fortunate enough to have been invited in to that world and trusted by our, you know, leaders on, on that movie to, to try to, you know, it's important to us to try to figure out what we can do on our, for our, our on our own part to um, back people up and create opportunities. And like the thing we're proud about right along is, is, helping create something really successful for these four amazing actors, directors, producers, you know, because that's, that's, that makes me really happy. And, and then in terms of what we can do when we write scripts, trying to create roles for uh, actors of color, trying to write characters uh, of who are trying to write gay characters, trying to write characters into the script so that you have to make a choice to change that if someone's going to change that and 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 just try to forward that as much as possible as like like anyone like we're all trying to 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 move forward and try to to me it's like as a writer you actually do have a, a a chance to create opportunities like when you when you make a movie when you get a movie greenlit or you create an original script you know you're you, you've created a bunch of jobs you've made yeah a possible someone's livelihood for a little while. And hopefully if you are just, you know, when we wrote the invitation, for example, it's a movie that, um, the cast of that movie is very diverse. And it also, this is sort of a spoiler. We also were very much conscious of the, at the end of the movie in most horror movies, um, only one person survives and, it's it's either the white girl or the white guy, and that's what it is. And if there's an African American character in there, you know what's going to happen. And and if there's a gay character, you know what's going to happen. And so at the end of that movie, we we were like we knew what the end of the movie was, and it wasn't that just the lead white guy survived. His African American girlfriend survived, and and a gay man survived, which is a, we have the the Q and Hayes at the end. We had so many funny questions where people go, be like, um, I just want to say, I don't think that I've ever seen a gay man survive. <laughs> Thank you. The end of a horror movie. Yeah, but it yeah. seems like a small thing, but it, 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 representation, yeah. right? We talk like, about it all the time. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Well, well, we appreciate yeah. you being on the show. Thank you Thank so much. You.
Guys, it was great. Thanks for tuning in. More in common. Expose, evaluate, evolve. Thank you.